Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of Real Faith. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, happy Mother's Day. You guys welcome all the moms and the grandmas. We are so honored to have you joining us here at the Trinity Church for a very special weekend. And I wanna start by honoring my wife, Grace. She is the mother of our five kids, the most resilient, adorable woman I've ever met. And so honey, I just wanna publicly honor you and you're a bit like a mom here for the entire church family. We love and appreciate you. And uh, if, if you are a guy and you watch your wife raise kids, you realize you would be a terrible mother. Uh, mothers have superpowers that men can't even understand. I also wanna honor my mother-in-law, Linda. She's moved down. She's part of our family and church family. Just absolutely love her. She is the best. And it's a blessing to have a great mother-in-law. And I know my mom's watching online. So this is me and my mom. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. My mom's the one with the glasses. I'm the one in the white shirt, okay? That's me and my mom, Deb, who I love with my whole heart. My mom prayed for me to meet Jesus. She, know, she knew Jesus before I did. She prayed me into the kingdom. And uh, she still is loving, kind, gracious, tunes in every week. She's got more than 20 grandkids. And uh, I prophesy that Grace and I are gonna have more than that. So there you go, mom. Happy Mother's Day. We love you. We miss you. We appreciate you. And where we find ourselves today, we're gonna be in a book of the Bible called Luke. So if you've got a Bible, go to Luke chapter one. We're gonna talk about uh, motherhood lessons from Jesus' mother. Mary. Usually we talk about her on Christmas. I think she fits really, really well for Mother's Day. She's the most significant, influential, impactful mother in the history of the world. And so what we're going to start with is this, that motherhood really matters. It really does matter. And who your mom is, is really a big determination of what kind of upbringing you will have and what kind of person you might become. We read this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That means he's from the kingly line of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. That's the woman we're going to learn from today. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored or chosen or blessed one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. She's a little startled. An angel comes to visit at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. He's chosen you. He has elected you. He has graced you. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will name him Jesus. Jesus means he saves from from sin. So here is the Savior coming for the sinners. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord uh, God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Here's the setting. It happens in a little town of Nazareth. Nazareth is a small, rural, obscure town. It's the kind of town that people move away from, but nobody moves into. If you grew up in one of those small towns that you couldn't wait to get a full tank of gas and drive away from, from, you understand Nazareth. I was born in Grand Forks, North Dakota. That is the Greek word for Nazareth. It's the kind of place you just want to leave. Uh, now, what happens in Nazareth is that it is an obscure town that has really no historical significance until Jesus' family shows up on the scene. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in other books, including, I've got a few notes here, the Talmud, the ancient historian Josephus and the Apocrypha, they never mention it. It's just a small town. We visited 
there some years ago as a family, and it's sustained by one water source, a very small well. Their topography is a lot like ours. It's very barren and desert, and so you need a water source to sustain life. With a small water source, you could only have a small community. They only had one well. To this day, the well still flows, and it's called Mary's Well. It's where Mary and Jesus, when he was a boy, would have went with his mother to gather water for the day and to transport it home. Uh, this causes the archeologists who have excavated the area to come to the conclusion that there was probably no more than a few hundred people there, maybe just a few dozen families. So if you grew up in a small town with 100, 200 people, you have some sense of what their life was like. It was also a very poor town. Uh, there was not a lot of wealth and affluence or opulence. The homes that they raised their families in were about the same size as the parking stall where you parked your vehicle on your way in. This would have included their bedroom, their kitchen, their living, their dining, and also a small stall for their animals and livestock. They would have heated it with wood. They would have had to bring in their own water. They probably didn't have uh, central restrooms. You're looking at a very simple, poor peasant, rural lifestyle. Uh, the result is there's a guy named Nathaniel in John chapter one, and he asked this question. He asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? The point is nothing's ever happened there and no one significant has ever come from there. And an angel arrives there, not the expected, but the unexpected place. And he comes to a young man named Joseph. Now Joseph and Mary are probably teenagers. So how many of you are you know, high school, college age, right? How many of you are parents of children or grandchildren that age? And you realize they're not fully cooked. They're still in process. I've never looked at a 14-year-old and thought they're ready to be parents. Most of us wouldn't trust a 14-year-old with a phone, let alone raising God. So this is a lot of responsibility that's coming on this young couple. So Joseph, he's a carpenter. He's a guy who works with his hands. He's a blue collar guy in a rural town, probably working in the same trade as his dad. That's generally how it tended to work. He also probably has had his eye on Mary since they were little kids. If you grow up in a small town and you go to church together and you grow up together, everybody knows everybody's business. The whole little town functions like a large extended family. And if there's like two dozen boys and two dozen girls, pretty early on, you better pick and you better lock that pick in, all right? If you just wait till the end, it's probably not gonna be the best choice. So I'm assuming that Joseph probably had his heart set and inclined toward Mary from quite a young age. And it says now that they are betrothed. Betrothal is two things. It is consummation after covenant. The covenant is first and then consummation is second. We don't have a concept of betrothal. So we hear about them being betrothed and it could be a little confusing for us. Well, you would have a covenant of marriage where you would call one another husband and wife and it would be one year before you would actually be married and consummate your covenant and live together uh, in the same house as husband and wife. During that one year period, that was called betrothal. It was a legally binding status to end the relationship you would need to file for divorce. So they are preparing for their marriage. They have their covenant. They're looking forward to their consummation. He's got his life plan. He's got his dream girl. And all of a sudden the angel Gabriel shows up and changes all of his plans. And all of a sudden he is being told that the life that he has chosen for himself is not the life that God has chosen for him. The moral of the story is this, you can have a vision for your life but if God has a different vision, you need to accept that his vision is better than your vision, even if at first his vision for your life is far more complicated. And this is going to be far more complicated for Joseph. Now he's going to marry a woman who is um, 
pregnant. This is going to come with lots of accusations about her character and integrity and his discernment. Uh, This is going to cause him to have to raise a son whom he is not the biological father of. He's going to need to adopt him. Uh, Joseph's life is going to be complicated, but it is in fact blessed. And I would just submit to those of you, particularly those of you men who are single and you're thinking and considering, well, who should I marry? Don't overlook the single mothers. Jesus' mother, Mary, is going to be pregnant. Joseph is going to marry her and adopt Jesus. And what I'm telling you is she's the greatest mother in the history of the world. And I'm certain that he didn't regret being the father of Jesus and being the husband of Mary. For those of you men who are single, don't overlook single mothers. Sometimes you could miss a woman with the character of Mary. Well, now Joseph has this decision to make, and that is, is he going to walk in God's will or will he walk away from God's will? He gets a message from an angel named Gabriel. Angels appear about 90% of the books of the Bible, about 300 times angels appear in the scriptures. They are worshipers of God. They are messengers and ministers for God. So they'll deliver a message, which is what Gabriel is doing here. And sometimes they will do ministry. Now, sometimes people ask, how come I've never seen an angel? Fair question. The the answer is you may have, and you just didn't know. Hebrews 13.2 says that angels come undercover incognito, and sometimes they just appear like the rest of us, not drawing any attention to themselves. And as a result, the Bible says we could have been with angels and not even know it. Have you ever seen that show, Undercover Boss? (laughs) They stole the whole, they should give a tithe to Jesus because they ripped off the whole concept from the angels. The angels were the 1.0 original undercover boss. There are um, three angels that are named in the Bible, Lucifer, the fallen angel we know is Satan. And then there is Michael and Gabriel. So if you get a visit from an angel, that's a big day. If you get Michael or Gabriel, it's a really big day. Like if they show up with a name tag that says, Gabriel, you know it's a big day for you. It's either a good day or a bad day, but it's a big day for you. So Gabriel shows up and he has a message to deliver to Mary. Now she is a young woman, probably most would believe that she's in her teen years. So think of a teenage girl that you know. She's been waiting her whole life to get married. She's now preparing her marriage. She's picking out whatever would be the customs for that day in their engagement that was leading up to their marriage. Uh, What this means is she's looking forward to her wedding. She's picking out her dress. She's envisioning their home and their life together, right? So she's very much into this anticipation and all of a sudden this angel is going to bring disruption. And if you're a single guy, you just need to know that the woman is always way ahead of you in the planning. You just need to know that. So like on a third date, a guy will be like, she's nice. And the girl's thinking our fourth son's name will be Tony. She's way down the road from you. She's got this all planned out. I raised two daughters. They start practicing for weddings when they're very little. They put on dresses and they wanna walk down the aisle. I'm telling you gentlemen, she has been preparing for this day for a very long time. And what God says is that she is favored by God. What this is, is she is chosen. And she's chosen for two things. She's chosen for salvation and service. If you're a Christian, God has chosen you. He's favored you for salvation and service. To have a relationship with Jesus Christ that takes away sin and endures forever. And then to serve the cause of Jesus Christ during your days on the earth. That is the calling on her life. And ultimately what is going to come through her womb adopted by Joseph, is a boy that they are to name Jesus. Jesus means he saves people from their sins. Christ means the anointed of God. 
And in this, we learn three things from the angel Gabriel about her son, Jesus. Number one, that he's fully man. He's fully human. He's going to be the son of Mary. She's going to give birth to a baby who's gonna grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with men and God, we learn in the next chapter of Luke. Number two, not only is he fully man, he's fully God. It is told through the angel Gabriel uh, that he will be the son of the Most High. In that day, they would have kings, but above all of them was the Most High, that's God the Father. In the unseen realm, the spirit realm, there would be angels and other divine beings and also demons. And above all of them was the Most High. So ruling and reigning in the seen and the unseen realms is the Most High who rules over the visible and the invisible world. And Jesus being the son of the Most High God, that means like father, like son, he would have the same attributes and he would carry the same authority. And it then goes on to say that he would be a king, that he would rule over the throne of uh, the father David forever. That comes through the family line of Joseph. Jesus did not have an earthly biological father. He was adopted by Joseph, who is a descendant of David to fulfill the prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, that Jesus would come as the King of Kings. And they would have heard this a little bit differently than perhaps we did, because in their day, the highest ruling and ranking authority in the political governance was a guy named Herod the, fill in the blank, great. And the angel says that Jesus will be great. See, they think that Herod is great, he's not so great. Jesus is going to be the one who is great. So he's fully God, fully man. He is savior and king with a kingdom that never ends. Now this is a lot of responsibility to put on a teenage girl. You're gonna birth God and you need to raise him. She's got a big responsibility. That leads me to my next point, And that is that motherhood is ministry. Sometimes I've had conversations with women and they will say things like, well, I really felt called into full-time ministry, but then I became a mother and now I'm raising my children. My answer is always the same. You're in more than full-time ministry, amen? How many of you are moms? And you know it's a ministry and it's more than full-time ministry. Sometimes the most important ministry that we have is not our ministry, but preparing our children for their ministry that ultimately we tend to think of our life, but we need to think beyond our life toward our legacy. That's why here at the Trinity Church, we say we open our Bibles to learn, we open our lives to love so that lives and legacies are transformed. See, I want your kids, your grandkids, your great grandkids to know and love Jesus. In the future, you and I will not be there, but we can raise people who love Jesus and send them into the future so that the ministry in the church of Jesus Christ endures for generations. And so what Mary is doing here, she is raising her son, Jesus, and this is her ministry. Mary said to the angel, they're gonna have a conversation. How will this be since I'm a virgin? True or false? That's a fair question. Angel's like, you're gonna have a baby. She's like, okay, I've not done this before, but what I've heard is it works a certain way. How are we gonna do this? This is a fair question. And the angel answered her. And I love that sometimes when we ask questions, God's willing to answer them. The Holy Spirit, it's gonna be an anointing of God. It's gonna be a supernatural miracle of God will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, sinless, perfect, different, other, the Son of God. Mary, your son is going to be the Son of God. That's amazing. And behold, your relative Elizabeth. Now we're gonna meet another mother. This is her relative in her old age has also conceived a son. That's gonna be Jesus' cousin, John the baptizer. And it is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So what we have here, we have Elizabeth and Mary. 
Mary is young, Elizabeth is old, uh, Elizabeth is barren, Mary is a virgin. If either of them is to conceive, it is going to be a miracle. God, the Holy Spirit will need to get involved. Now, the relative, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zachariah, whom you'll meet in a moment, uh, they were rural priests. This would be like pastoring a small rural church in a small town, loving and serving people and teaching the Bible faithfully. They always wanted a baby and they could never have one. And many would have probably looked at Elizabeth and said that God was punishing her. In her prayer elsewhere, she says that God has taken away her disgrace. There was, there was some mourning regarding the inability to conceive a child. Does, for those of you who know the Bible, does this sound at all familiar? An older couple that always wanted a baby but couldn't have one? What's that sound like? Abraham and Sarah. What Abraham and Sarah did, they went and got another woman and Abraham got her pregnant and that didn't end well. We still have geopolitical conflict because of that family strife. The moral of the story is two women is too many. Write that down if you're married, that's very important. <laughs> now, what happens with Elizabeth and Zachariah is simply this, they don't do what Abraham and Sarah did. They don't sin against God and said they surrender to God. And they just, okay, Lord, you need to provide, and if you don't, we're not going to intersect ourselves with your plan for our life. We will just trust your plan for our life. And so what the angel says is, not only is God doing something in your family and womb, Mary, he's doing something in the household of Elizabeth and Zechariah that are about a hundred miles away. And they're both going to become mothers. And John the baptizer is the old covenant. Jesus is the new covenant. Here is the prophet, here is the fulfillment. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And John the baptizer is the one whom Jesus would say is the greatest man who has ever walked the earth. So these are the two greatest men, the God man, and ultimately John the baptizer walking on the earth, coming through what we could argue is the wombs of two of the greatest mothers, if not the two greatest mothers in the history of planet earth. And Mary's birth is going to be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And so I love the Bible, I believe the Bible, I've had the honor of teaching God's word for 25 years. You just need to know that we are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-learning church, amen? We believe that God got it right the first time and God doesn't need editors, all he needs is messengers. God makes no mistakes, therefore there is no need to correct anything that God has said, but simply to obey all that God has said. Now, when the Bible was written, 25% of the Bible was prophetic in nature. It was God foreshadowing, predicting, anticipating, promising the future. Our God rules and reigns over all, and he knows the future. He rules the future, and he reveals it through something called prophecy. One of the most curious prophecies for God's people in the Old Covenant was in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's the verse that you will see on the front of your Christmas cards every year. I'll read it to you. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is what Gabriel just said. He is going to be the son of the most high God. He will be the son of God and he will come into human history. God will become a man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. For generations, God's people were anticipating who's this young virgin woman who's going to give birth to the savior of the world. Mary probably as a little girl was wondering, you know, who is that going to be? And the angel says, that's you, that's you. Sometimes we read things in the Bible and then sometimes God shows up and says, this one applies to you. This is now something that I'm asking you to participate in. And her response is pretty amazing. True or false, she's had a big day. Mary's had a big day. She just met an angel, that's big. The angel said she's gonna have a baby before she has a husband and consummated their covenant. She could have a lot of argument with God. God, wait a minute, I didn't agree to this. 
We didn't discuss this. Uh, what, what if my, what if my fiance, my husband, what if, what if Joseph abandons me? How are my parents gonna believe this? Can you imagine being the teenage girl going to your mom and dad? I got good news, I got bad news. <laughs> bad news is I'm pregnant. Good news is it's a miracle, right? This is a hard sell. How many of you are parents? And you're like, yeah, they've tried that one. I didn't believe it, right? <laughs> what happens is she could be looking at her future with a lot of fear. And instead she's looking at her future with a lot of faith. And rather than arguing with God, she surrenders to God. And what she says is, I'm your servant. She, in some of your translations, will say your handmaiden. What that means is the lowest servant, the gal who takes the jobs that no one else would take. And what she's saying is this, you're the Lord, I'm the servant. What we see is as she raises Jesus, there's something of his character because they're both filled with the Holy Spirit that lives in her son. They come to Jesus and he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He's echoing his mother, Mary. My prayer is that for those of you who are given the gift and honor of being mothers, that your kids and your grandkids would echo you as you speak spirit-filled words of life. And what she says, I'm here to serve. Her son shows up and says, I too am here to serve. She surrenders her plan to God's plan. She's basically saying this, not my will, but your will be done. Does that sound like anyone you know? Her son, Jesus, in the garden of Gethsemane on the night that he is betrayed, where he dies on the cross in our place for our sins as our substitute and savior, he echoes the same intimation as his mother, Mary. And he says, not my will, your will be done. There's a lot that we see in Jesus' character that comes from his mother, Mary. Now they're both filled with the spirit. So that's the source of their character. But I love the fact that Mary is such a godly, extraordinary woman and that Jesus follows the leadership of his mother and father. And then he carries forth the faith-filled character of his mother and father. Two things I'd like to just point out briefly from this section. Does Mary have a question for the angel? Yes. Is she demonstrating unbelief? No. The point is this, you can have questions for God without having unbelief toward God. Amen. How many of you, God's said something, maybe even in the Bible, you're like, I believe that, I'm just not sure how that's gonna work. Some of you need to know that it's okay to have questions. She doesn't doubt God, she knows what God is going to do, but she has questions about how God is going to do that. Our faith is big enough to have questions without it rising to the level of unbelief. In addition, my question to you is this, if you look at it almost like a teeter-totter or scales, uh, regarding her knowledge and her obedience, okay? Is her knowledge high or low? It's low, she doesn't know very much. An angel just showed up and had a very brief conversation with her. So her knowledge is very low. Her obedience, is it low or high? It's very high. For many of us, is our knowledge very high or very low? Our knowledge tends to be very high. Our obedience tends to be very low. The moral of the story is this, you haven't really learned anything until you've done what you've learned. Some of you don't need to read another book, you need to do what the last book said. Some of you don't need to memorize another verse, you need to do what the last verse said, and after you do that, memorize the next verse. We tend to think that the more we learn, the more mature we become. That's not true because knowledge puffs up. This is what happens with religious people who have knowledge, but not obedience and not spirit-filled humility. They know a lot, but they don't do a lot, and as a result, they judge a lot rather than serve a lot. So Jesus' mother, Mary, she knows little, but she obeys much. And, and let me just say this, the more you know, the more God expects obedience from you. To whom much is given, much is required. 
but all of us have been given certain things entrusted to us by God, and we're responsible to be obedient toward those things. Then we learned that motherhood is miraculous. Without God being involved, there would be no baby for Mary or for Elizabeth. But how many of you are mothers and just being a mother, it's a bit of a miracle. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Women make people. I mean, that's, I'm a guy. To me, I'm still just shocked by, I can't make people. Not that I want to, but I'm just telling you, when Eve, the first mother, births the first children, she basically says, and I'm paraphrasing, she's like, with the help of God, I make people. She's kind of surprised at the whole process. This is going to be a miracle. Life is a miracle and it is a gift from God. And so we, we see this, here we go. In those days, Luke chapter one, verses 39 through 45, Mary arose. She hears, okay, Elizabeth is having a baby too. So she's gonna make the hundred mile walk as a pregnant young woman. Faith is an internal conviction that leads to an external action. She believes that what she has been told is true and she's going to act upon that in obedience by journeying about a hundred miles. In those days, Mary rose and went with haste. She's in a hurry. She's so excited. She wants to go see Elizabeth. We're both pregnant. This is gonna be fun. Into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah, relative and greeted Elizabeth. Here's the old covenant, the new covenant, John the baptizer and the fulfillment of prophecy, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Okay, let me just, let me just explain this for a moment briefly. The two women come together and the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb. What that means is, you'll read it in a moment, but he is, John is the first worshiper of Jesus Christ. And he worships from his mother's womb. And it says that the baby leaped, and we're gonna find in a moment that the baby, John, is filled with the Holy Spirit. That word baby is very significant. It is written here by a medical doctor. His name is Luke. So this is a medical clinical diagnosis that is perfect because it's empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit. That little word in the original Greek text, not to get too technical with you, is brephos. Luke is going to use this same word throughout Luke's and also in his next book of the Bible, Acts. And it refers to a baby in the womb. It also refers to a baby in the arms as a mom is holding and swaddling a child. It also refers to children who are laughing and playing and dancing at the playground. And it's the same word that is used when the children come and sit on Jesus' lap like Santa at the mall. This word is used for children when they are in the womb, in the arms or in the playground, because they're all human life. They're all a baby. They're all made in the image and likeness of God. They're all known by God. They're named by God. They are destined by God. And they can even be filled with the Holy Spirit from a mother's womb, okay? So let me just say this. I know this is controversial, um, but it's true. You cannot believe the Bible and not be pro-life. You can't, you can't, okay? Now, in saying this, some of you will say, well, we had a miscarriage or we terminated a pregnancy or there are things in my past that I regret. regret. Here's the good news. God knows from the womb. God chooses from the womb. God saves from the womb. God fills with the spirit from the womb. There might be an incredible family reunion waiting for you. And we just need to trust the goodness of God to make these hard decisions. Like Mary, we just simply need to say, I'm your servant, I trust you to be the savior. That being said, the the story continues. 
Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed in a loud cry, blessed are you. Usually it would be the younger woman who would pronounce a blessing over the older, but here the older will pronounce a blessing over the younger because Mary is carrying Jesus. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Children are a blessing. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, who's Jesus? She says, it's my Lord. These women know exactly what God is doing and they trust by faith. So Elizabeth here is worshiping her, maybe her nephew, Jesus. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. John the baptizer knows the presence of God. Let me say this. Sometimes a child, even from a mother's womb, can sense the presence of God. Some of you pregnant ladies, when you see the baby kicking and rolling, maybe they're worshiping. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, from the Lord. The point is simply this. Being a mother is a divine calling. It's a difficult calling, but it's a divine calling. And the reason that we honor mothers is because they are the means by which God has chosen to bring life into this world. And I love the fact that Elizabeth said that she is blessed. And let me just say, we absolutely, fundamentally, completely believe that children are a blessing, all of them. And we wanna thank you mothers for your ministry of raising children. And I would just encourage you as the senior pastor here at our church to be encouraging mothers in motherhood. And let us not be disparaging toward children. One of the things I'd like to honor my wife for today, we have five kids and we've had a complicated life Mainly my fault. I always say we're drama queen. She's a queen, I'm a lot of drama. That's how we roll. Now, that being said, I can honestly say this. I have never heard my wife once complain about our children or the responsibilities and duties of motherhood. Grace has always had this disposition that children are a blessing and motherhood is a ministry. And I would just encourage you to be in prayer for all of the mothers and the children. Um, one of the reasons that we're throwing parties and having fun, we wanna tell children about the grace of God and then we want them to see and experience the grace of God. So when they hear that God loves them and that he has a place for them in heaven, we throw parties to practice for that place. Now, that being said, the last thing that we learn is that motherhood is magnifying. And uh, we read this in Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, or she sang, this is called Mary's song. And it is often called the Magnificat because it comes from the first word where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. God is magnificent. And in worship, we magnify him. We reflect his magnificence. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Let me just hit this really quick. How many of you like me were raised Catholic or perhaps Orthodox? And you were told that Mary was sinless like Jesus. She wasn't. Here she says that her soul rejoices in God, whose savior? My savior, who needs a savior? A sinner. Mary is here publicly saying, I'm a sinner and my son is my savior, okay? She's humble enough to publicly confess her own sins. Let me say this, ladies, one of the most powerful things you can do as a mother is confess your own sins. To just admit your imperfections and your need for grace and God's forgiveness in the Lord Jesus, we all do. And she is modeling this humility and repentance. She goes on to say, uh, for he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we're fulfilling that prophecy today. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. 
and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She goes all the way back in the family history and genealogy to Abraham and she says, God, our God, the one true God has been faithful every generation of our family from Abraham to the present as he gave a promise to Abraham that through him would come Jesus Christ to be the blessing of the nations of the world. And now that prophecy, that promise is being fulfilled through my womb as I am going to bring Jesus into human history. And what Mary does here, she stops to worship. There are times when we can look into our future with fear and we need to look up to our God in faith. You can look into your future and say, this seems very difficult. And you can look up and say, he seems very capable. And so rather than worrying, she is worshiping. The moral of the story is this, don't waste your energy worrying, invest your energy worshiping. We don't know if she had previously written this song or if this was extemporaneous in the moment. Either way, she stops and she sings. And let me submit this to you. She is an incredibly brilliant, insightful woman when it comes to knowing who God is. And she is going to give us a God-centered worship song. We live in a day, we get excited about sports teams and political candidates and the square footage in our home and the stock market and what new album has been released. And what she says is, I'm really excited about who God is. And God is the only one who really is worthy of being magnified because he alone is magnificent. And I just wanna hit it briefly here. She gives us 17, what I would call attributes of God. Number one, she says, he is Lord, that he is above all. She said, I'm your servant and you are the Lord. So God has highest authority in her life. She calls him savior. What that means is he's rescuer, he's deliverer, he's forgiver of sins. You need to know this, that Jesus Christ came to live the life you have not lived, to die the death you should have died and to rise from death to give the gift you cannot earn. Jesus Christ is Lord and savior. He rules over all and there is no salvation apart from Jesus. The most important decision you will ever make is who you believe Jesus Christ is and whether you reject him or receive him. If you receive him, you receive him as savior for your sins. In addition, number three, she calls him omniscient or all-knowing. She says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. What she says is, my God sees and knows all. And she says, I, I'm a poor woman in an obscure town that is relatively unknown, but God knows me. I just want you to know, friends, that God knows you. God knows every longing of your heart. God knows every day of your life. God knows every need. That God knows, and God knows you, and he knows all. She also says that he is respectful. She says that she will be blessed by God. Now, people during the course of her life, they're gonna make horrible accusations about her character. They're gonna say that she is a horrible woman who was unfaithful to her husband and that he is an absolute buffoon for believing the lie that she concocted. She's not blessed by people, but she knows that she is going to be blessed by God. And what God is doing here, he's giving her her dignity back. Let me just say this. Um, don't worry about history vindicating you, worry about eternity vindicating you. That even if you don't get your dignity back, wait for God to give it back. And he blesses her and gives her her dignity back. Also says that he is mighty, she uses that word. What this means is that our God is powerful, that no one and nothing can stop or thwart his plans, desires, or decrees. That's really good news. That whatever need you have, the power of God is bigger and available to the children of God. She also says that his love and affection is personal. She says, he has done great things for me. One of the 
most important things that we can all do, but on this sacred day, I would convene this particularly for mothers, is talk about the great things, not just that God has done, but that God has done for you as a witness and a testimony. And, and we can all just look at our lives and say, he has done great things for me, for me. And as we share those things, we're encouraging faith in others. She also goes on to say that he is holy. That means he's without sin, he's pure, he's altogether good. Jesus Christ alone is the only person who has or will ever walk the earth who is holy and without sin, perfect in the sight of God. And she's saying, my God is holy. And the good news is that he forgives us and he gives us his righteousness so that we can be declared righteous in his sight through trusting in his son. She goes on to say that he is also merciful, that his steadfast love lasts for generations. Some of you have legacies, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, they knew and they loved Jesus and he was faithful to them. Some of you are the first link in the chain and this new legacy is beginning with you. There is a good thing to remember and that is that his mercy extends for generations. That's such good news. And for those of you that have prodigal children who have wandered and strayed, just know this, even when we are faithless, he is faithful and that his mercy endures for generations. That ultimately the same God who is faithful to you, you need to trust that he will do what is faithful and right for others. In addition, she goes on to say that he is worthy, that he alone is worthy of reverence and respect and awe and honor. And we sing the praises of many, but as God's people, we need to be most loudly and consistently singing the praises of our Lord Jesus Christ. She also says that he is sovereign, that he rules over kings and kingdoms and he, he rises up and he, he tears down. In that day, they didn't have the rule of law. They only had the rule of force. So the king got to do whatever he wanted. And if you were a poor peasant girl in a rural town, you had no rights. And she says, the good news is the king over me is evil, but the king over the, all the kings, he is good and he is my father. And he has power and authority to bring justice. She says also that God is gracious, that he exalts those who are humbled. She's a humble woman and now her character is going to be humiliated. Things are going to be said about her that are not true. She's going to be lied about. It's going to be slander and demonic attack on her character and integrity. What she says ultimately, however, is that God is gracious and he is going to take her though she is humbled and humiliated and he is going to exalt her. He's also generous that to the needy, he fills the hungry. Anytime you have provision, the reason that we pray and thank God is it ultimately comes from his hand. And when Jesus said to pray for our daily bread, we also need to pray in thanks when God answers that prayer. To those who are greedy, she says that they will leave empty handed. That God ultimately has cosmic justice and in the end, everything will be made right that has been made wrong by this good God, Jesus Christ. She also says that he's humble because he helps us. Now, let me say, we tend to be an independent, autonomous, self-sufficient people. And the truth is we all need help. We all need God's help. And the good news is not only is Mary a servant of God, she raises the son of God who is also a servant and he's humble enough to serve us. And the Lord Jesus has been consistently faithful and good to me. And if you wanna know him, I'm telling you, you'll never regret knowing him. He is humble and he is helpful. That is our Jesus, amen? In addition, she says that he is faithful. He keeps his promises for generations and that he is eternal, that his grace endures, his kingdom endures forever. There are so many people and things that we invest our time and energy in. They don't endure forever. The kingdom of God endures forever. The Lordship of Jesus Christ endures forever. Kings and kingdoms come and go, but the church of Jesus Christ will prevail forever. And there is this hope that if we're investing in the things that are connected to Jesus, that we're investing in the things that endure forever. 
So I wanna thank you for being part of our church family. Well, this is the story of Mary. She's worshiping rather than worrying. And what's interesting is then she raises Jesus. She's a great, tremendous mother. And then she is there when they crucify Christ. Uh, The Bible gives this intimate portrait that is Jesus is hanging on the cross, suffering and dying in our place for our sins. Possibly at eye level is his mother, Mary. Now, ladies, imagine that moment. The 10 fingers, 10 toes that were counted when they were born are now nailed to a Roman cross. What's amazing in that moment is Jesus suffers and dies in our place for our sins. He looks at his mother, Mary, and his friend, John, who is alongside of her. And he says, John, please take care of my mom. The question that commentators often ask is, where's Joseph? He disappears after Jesus is somewhere in his teen years. We don't hear anything more about him. He's a good man, a godly man. He loves the Lord. He's a faithful man and he disappears. And you would think if he were still alive, he would be there at the death of his son to comfort his wife. This leads some commentators, and this is speculation, I admit, it's not clearly stated in the scriptures, that perhaps Joseph died. If so, not only did she begin as a single mother, she ended as a widow. She's an incredible woman. After Jesus dies and he is buried, she knows where he is buried, and then she sees her son risen from death. So her testimony is incredible. She's a devoutly religious woman. She would not be making up some lie if it were not in fact true. And then what we see in the next book written by this man, Luke, is Acts. He writes Luke and Acts. He's the number one author by sheer volume of content in the New Testament. It's a prequel and a sequel about the life of Christ and then Christians. In Acts chapter one, the early church is meeting in the upper room. There's about 120 people. And it says included among them, worshiping Jesus is Mary, his mother. Now, Mary also raises two other sons who pen and write books of the Bible. Their names are James and Jude. These are Jesus' half-brothers born through the consummation of the covenant between Mary and Joseph. Jude chapter one, verse one says, Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and brother of James. So think of this, Mary's Ministry included raising Jesus and James and Jude, his two brothers who write books of the Bible. Let me just submit to you that this is a very compelling case that Jesus is God and rose from the dead. How many of you mothers would not start a religion for your child? Amen? How many of you, how many of you have a big brother and you would not worship him as God? Like if you had to choose between he's God or the devil, you're like, I'm going with the devil. I know he's not God that ultimately Mary and the two brothers, James and Jude, they worship Jesus as God. They become Bible writing pastors bearing, the books of the Bible bearing their name are James and Jude. And then here is what a commentator says. James, the half brother of Jesus was executed. Not only did, now think of this for Mary. She raised her sons to love and serve the Lord. And she then watched her sons be murdered and martyred for the Lord. I mean, it's, this is an incredibly high calling on this woman. James, the half-brother of Jesus was executed. He was thrown off the temple and still alive was stoned to death. So they go to James and they say, you deny that your brother Jesus is God and savior and king and Christ and risen from the dead. He said, I can't do it, it's true. They take him up to the temple, they throw him down, he doesn't die. He's probably in a horrific condition. And they come up to him and they say, we're now going to stone you. One last opportunity to deny your brother. And what he does is he quotes his brother. He says, Forgive them for they know not what they do. James quotes his brother, Jesus, 
while he is being put to death for his devotion to his brother Jesus as God. One archeological expert goes on to say, when James is murdered, it is Simon who takes over leadership in the movement. So there is Jesus, his two half brothers are James and Jude. They kill one brother and then it is a fourth brother, according to history outside of the Bible, who steps in to occupy the leadership vacuum. What this means is we now see four world changing ministry leaders serving God raised by Mary. You know what's amazing? She may have not had an education, but she had an anointing. She did not come from a big town, but she had an anointing. She may have not had a stellar reputation, but she had an anointing. She may have not, even at the end of her life, had a husband who was still alive, but she had an anointing. Let me tell you this, the most important thing for parenting is the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the family. Because we worry so much about, did I get them in the right school? Did I get them with the right coach? Are they growing up in the right neighborhood? Are they eating the right food? All of that matters. What matters most is the anointing of God. Because you can have everything and without the anointing, you have nothing. And with the anointing, you can have nothing, but God can provide everything. That's the story of Mary. So for those of you who are parents, I would ask you just seek to be people who demonstrate the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you're looking for friends, look for people who demonstrate the fruit of the spirit and not the works of the flesh. If you're wanting to help your children learn how to pick friends, tell them to look for people who are demonstrating the fruit of the spirit and not the works of the flesh. We love people who are demonstrating the works of the flesh. We minister to people who are demonstrating works of the flesh, but we want to walk with those who are demonstrating the fruit of the spirit because those who walk with the wise grow wise. Now, what happens historically is if you were raised in Catholic or Orthodox traditions, too much is made of Mary. But if you're raised in Protestant traditions, which we are a part of that tradition, too little is made of Mary. So I was raised Catholic and I was told that uh, not only was Mary a virgin, so was her mother. That's not true. Uh, I was also told that uh, not only was Jesus sinless, so was Mary. That's not true. She rejoiced in God, her savior. We examined that. Number three, I was told that she was a virgin for the rest of her life. Blessed Mary ever virgin. Is that true? No, Joseph's already been through enough. Okay, he's been through enough. <laughs> he's been through enough. Number four, I was told to venerate her and that we were to pray to her by praying the Hail Mary, which I did as a child. And then later in life, when I actually came to saving faith in Christ and I understood I had a little bit of a dour disposition toward Mary. And now I've come to believe that she is not our object of faith, but she's a great example of faith. In addition, she is a much needed example for young women. I've got two daughters, uh, 17 and 23. And for those of you who are young women, it's just tragic that in our day, we encourage young women to look to influencers when we should be encouraging them to look to worshipers. Influencers have a platform, uh, worshipers have character. Mary has character. She's an incredible example for young women and she's an amazing model for motherhood. With that being said, thank you for the honor of teaching you God's word. I love you with all my heart. I look forward to seeing you every single week. 
And to those of you who are mothers, we say thank you for your ministry and thank you for the children that you are raising. Thank you for entrusting them to our care at the Trinity Church. We love you. We're here to support you and your family. And I would just encourage you husbands and fathers to make note, to pray over your wife and children today and to pronounce a blessing over this woman and the blessings that God has placed in your home. I'm gonna pray and we'll tell you what's next. Father God, thank you so much for the blessing of life. Thank you for the example of Mary. God, we don't venerate her, but we appreciate her. And God, we say that it is amazing that, uh, that this family could produce this kind of world-class leadership. And it really is about an anointing of the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray for the Holy Spirit's anointing to bring the character of Christ on these marriages, on these families, for generations and legacies in Jesus' good name. Amen.